Amen. Thank you, Terry, and uh, thank you for saying yes, Lord, and joining our team. Uh, Terry is, uh, how do I describe Terry? We went to New York together. Uh, we did a missions trip to uh, Brooklyn, New York, and, uh, and I don't know if you've ever, ever been to New York, New York City, Brooklyn, and, and drove there. Uh, anyway, we needed a designated driver, and uh, Terry Brown was our guy. We thought, you know, if, if, if he can drive UPS truck, he can drive in Brooklyn. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I love you, Terry and, and Cindy, and we thank God for you guys. Thanks for joining the team. Well, uh, I think this Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Uh, some of you are excited about that. Some of you are surprised by that. <laughs> um, during a morning Bible study, a group of women were discussing how to have loving relationships with their husbands. The group leader asked them, how many of you love your husband? And everybody's hand shot up. And then the group leader asked the question. She asked the question, uh, when's the last time you told your husband that you love him? And some said, well, that was yesterday. Some said it was today. Some couldn't remember when the last time they said that they loved their husband. And so the group leader asked them all, all the ladies right then and there, text your husband right now and let them know you love him. And so they all began to text their husbands, I love you, I love you, I love you. And the replies started to come back while they were in the group meeting. And the group leader said, okay, what kind of replies are you getting from your I love you statements? And here are some of the replies that came in. Are you sick? <laughs> Have you damaged the car? <laughs> I don't understand what you mean. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> or here's one. Am I dreaming? <laughs> or I like this one. Who was this message intended for? <laughs> this one's good too. Your mother is coming to visit again, isn't she? <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully we're not waiting till like Valentine's Day to say I love you and, and that. Hopefully we're not waiting to draw near to the people that we love, right, until days like Valentine's Day or birthdays. And how many of you know we don't have to wait to draw near to God until Christmas and Easter? Aren't you glad for that this morning? Today we are beginning a new series entitled Near and Far, Near and Far. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we are going to, to explore the conversations that Jesus had with those who were near him and those who were far away from him. The goal for all of us is to be near God. Amen. And so here's, uh, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look in, and I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to listen into a conversation that Jesus had with the people he grew up with. And as you're turning there, getting ready for that, before I forget to mention, we have a special guest with us this next Wednesday night at our Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I want to invite you to come out for that. Pam Franks, who is our missions director and also the founder of Embrace the Nations, recently met a young man named Mohammed while she was teaching uh, cultural orientation classes for newly arriving refugees right here in Omaha. And through befriending Mohammed, Pam has learned a lot about his incredible story. His people group have been persecuted by the Taliban for decades, even though they are Muslim. And when asked if he would like us to, uh, or if he would like to share at Glad Tidings and have us pray for him, 
Um, and for the Hazara people, Muhammad said, yes, he would love Glad Tidings Church to pray for him and for his persecuted people. And so we've invited Mohammed to come and join us this Wednesday night at our prayer meeting. He's going to be here. He's going to tell his story. And we're going to pray for him and his people group. How many believe that's good news for all people? So I want to invite you to come and join us this Wednesday night. All right, then. We are in Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Uh, you will find this very same account in, in Mark chapter 6. You'll also read an account in Luke chapter 4 of the first time that Jesus went back to his hometown, Nazareth. Uh, but here we are, and we're going to look at verse number 53, Matthew 13, 53. The Bible says, when Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. And he returned to Nazareth, his hometown. By the way, uh, Jesus spent the first 27 to 30 years of his life in his hometown called Nazareth. It was a small little village. Uh, they estimate that it could have been uh, maybe 500 people. Maybe 500 people. Okay. His hometown. And when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? And then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and they refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Near and far. Were these hometown folk near or far from Jesus? They were far. So as I read this passage, I begin to ask myself the question, how can the people who grew up so close to Jesus, who are so close to Jesus, be so far away? During this series, we're going to discover that many of those who thought they were near Jesus were actually far from Jesus. And those who were far from Jesus were much closer than they thought. Maybe you grew up um, in a small town. Uh, maybe you grew up with Jesus. Uh, you grew around Jesus. You grew up around church, all those things. Um, maybe you uh, grew up with a drug problem uh, where your parents drug you to church every time the doors were open. Uh, I had that kind of drug problem growing up. Uh, Every Sunday, every Wednesday, we were drugged to church. Uh, that's just the way it was in our family. Um, I remember going to uh, catechism classes as a young boy and memorizing scriptures, memorizing creeds. Uh, I remember our family sitting down every day, reading together our daily bread as a devotional, as a family. My dad was a Gideon. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Gideons, they're the ministry that, that supplies hospitals and hotels and prisons with Bibles. And uh, my dad was part of the Gideon ministry. We traveled with him once uh, visiting an all-black church. We were the only white family at that church. The only white family there. I sat in a Sunday school class. I was the only white kid in the Sunday school class. Uh, I remember the church service very well. I remember the choir swinging and swaying as they came down the center aisle. Uh, it was an incredible service. In fact, 
Um, it was probably the best church experience I had as a young child because I remember the presence of God being there. I remember that. I remember coming home after church one Sunday and dad said, no Sunday dinner today. No Sunday dinner today, kids. Today we're going to feel the hunger pains that many kids feel around the world. We all cried. (laughs) I remember how strict our family was at keeping the Sabbath. That was a big deal in our family. There were no chores done on the Sabbath on Sunday. Uh, There was no TV, no entertainment. The only entertainment we had on Sunday was the Sunday afternoon drive. How many of you did that growing up, right? It was the Sunday afternoon drive in the country, and somehow that was entertaining. Uh, And uh, anyway, uh, and then, of course, there was the uh, Sunday afternoon nap, right? Everybody in the family had to lay down and take a nap on Sunday afternoon. Mom and dad were the only ones sleeping. Everybody else was just staring up at the ceiling for hours. Um, I grew up with Jesus, um, and, and Sunday was the most boring day of the week to me. It really was. Jesus was the most boring person in the world to me growing up. Uh, I grew up with Jesus, and there are dangers of growing up with Jesus. Jesus becomes this hometown Jesus. He becomes this familiar Jesus. That's the title of the message today, is home is, excuse me, familiar Jesus. Familiarity, we've heard, breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. What does that mean? Extensive knowledge of or close association with someone or something leads to a loss of respect for them. Warren Roosby said this, the folks in Jesus' hometown thought they really knew him. They thought they were near him. But their contempt for him says nothing about Jesus and everything about them. At first, they were amazed by Jesus, the Bible says. They were amazed. And then, of course, the Bible says, and then they became deeply offended by Jesus. How do you go from being amazed by Jesus to being deeply offended by him? It happens in relationships actually all the time. Think about this. The person we, uh, we're first amazed by, right? They say something, they do something that we don't understand, that, that hurts us, that offends us, right? And that person that we were once very near, now we're pulling away from them. Think about that for a moment. You go to a church, Right? And and you go to this amazing church and you go, wow, this church is incredible. The pastor walks on water, right? The pastor can, he can do no wrong, right? And then three months later, he can do no right. This guy's just got it wrong, you know? We're amazed, we're enthralled when we meet somebody. The first impression, the wow, look at this teaching, this wisdom and this power that's coming from Jesus. And and they're enthralled by it. And then pretty soon, they, they start looking at it a little bit differently. They start asking some questions. They start making some statements. And pretty soon, they are deeply offended by Jesus. This is amazing to me. These people grew up with Jesus. They went to school with Jesus. They went fishing with Jesus. How can you tell if Jesus has become familiar Jesus to you? You can tell by listening to how you talk about him. You can tell by how you talk about him. Jesus, of course, said, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Another translation, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if you want to know if Jesus has just become this familiar Jesus to you, listen to what comes out of your mouth. I want you to listen this morning what came out of their mouths. They began with a legitimate question, a legitimate question about Jesus. And they asked the question, where does he get this wisdom and this power? Where does he get this wisdom and this power to do these miracles? Legitimate question. Great question. But here's the problem. They they could not find a satisfactory answer to their question. They couldn't get their mind around this Jesus they grew up with. They couldn't get their mind around him that he could be the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. This great mirror. They couldn't get their mind around it. They couldn't comprehend it. And so this legitimate question that they could not find a legitimate answer to, they they put it aside and then they put this Jesus in a box. They put him in this box and the first box they put him in is the he's just box. They said he's just the carpenter's son. And what happens is, is when we can't understand God, we put him in the Well, he must be this. He's just this. And we put him in this little box. How many of you know you can't put God in a box? You can't find a box big enough to put God in because he's just bigger than any box that we could put him in. So they put him in this, he's just box. Whatever we can't control, whatever we can't understand goes into the, he's just box. And when we don't understand God, we bring him down to our level. We make him into our likeness, into our image. Because we can't understand his likeness and his image. So let's bring him down to our image, our likeness. He's just a man. He's just the carpenter's son. And what we do is when we don't understand what's going on in our lives or why God is allowing this or allowing that, we bring him down to our level of thinking, our level of understanding. He's just this. Rather than coming up and saying, God, bring me up and into an understanding of who you are, we bring him down into an understanding that we can get our hands around They also put him in this we know box. They said, we know Mary, his mother. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. We know, we know, we know. When Jesus becomes familiar, we put him in the we know box. And we talk about what we know about God instead of what we have yet to discover. And I am discovering that the more I know him, the more I don't know him. (laughs) I think I know him, but I don't know him. I know about him. I know his teachings. I've taught the teachings. I know the stories. I've told the stories. I've healed the sick. I've cast out devils. But do I really know him? Do I really know him? And maybe this morning, that's you. And you can say, Pastor, you know what? I don't don't know that I really know him. Maybe you've even, you've written blogs. You've written books about him, right? But you'd say this morning, I'm not sure that I really, really know him. And this is the attitude that the Apostle Paul had. He wrote a third of the New Testament, but he confessed that I don't know him like I need to know him. I don't know him like I want to know him. Can I say this morning that the moment you have all the right answers is the moment you've stopped asking the right questions. Because the right questions will lead you to the unsearchable riches of Christ and they will silence you and leave you in the awe and wonder of God.
If you're bored with God, God is not boring. God is not boring. The word of God is not boring. You are. (laughs) You are. God is not boring. (laughs) Paul said this, and he made this his prayer for the church in Ephesus. We've read it before. Ephesians chapter 117. Let's look at this. Paul said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. Corey Russell, he was with us for our prayer conference last month. He said this. He said, Christianity is about the search and the discovery of a man. Christianity is about the search and the discovery of a man. But we have turned it into 45 minutes on a Sunday morning and 20 bucks. Christianity is about the fascination and the wonder with the person of Jesus Christ. And this hometown crowd, they lost the fascination. They lost the wonder. They lost the awe. They began with amazement, but it turned into this offense. Church can become offensive. God can become offensive. It doesn't start that way, but it goes that way. How many people leave the church because they're offended? How many leave a relationship because they're offended? Did it start that way? Did they wake up and dream one day? Someday I want to be married to a person who offends me. I want to go to a church that offends me. Right? We don't start that way. We start with this dream, this awe, this wonder. We need to return to the awe and the wonder of God. Maybe we need to repent of trying to put Jesus in our he's just and we know box. Lord, deliver us from what we think we know. Lord, deliver us from religion. Deliver us from familiar Jesus, God, and give us a spirit of wisdom. God, we keep asking, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. We need to start confessing that we don't know. That we don't know. And I love how Corey Russell puts it. He goes, when we start confessing that we don't know, we're at the beginning of Christianity. He said, the doorway into the spirit of revelation is the awareness of your poverty. The doorway into the spirit of revelation is the awareness of your poverty. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poverty, this blessed poverty that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, this blessed poverty gives us access to the riches of the kingdom. We cannot have the riches, we cannot have the wisdom and the revelation of God without beginning with a place of poverty. And the place of poverty says, I don't know him. I don't know him. Poverty is self-awareness. Poverty says, God, I want your assessment of me. No one else's assessment. God, I want your assessment of me. So here's the big question. What makes a person near or far from God? What makes a person near or far from God? As we look at the conversations of Jesus over the next several weeks, we will see the same answer over and over and over again of what makes a person near 
or what makes a person far from God. And it's found right in this passage. And the Bible says in verse 57, and they were deeply offended and refused to what? Believe. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Verse 58. So he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. See, the people from Nazareth were far from Jesus because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. John chapter 1 verse 11 says this. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, you can't get any nearer to God than to become his child. Our nearness or our distance from God has everything to do with our faith. Nearness has nothing to do with whether or not you grew up with Jesus. Nearness has nothing to do with whether or not we sing your favorite chorus. Nearness has nothing to do with whether or not God answers your prayers the way you expect him to answer them. Nearness has nothing to do with whether or not you feel close to Jesus. Many of you feel far from God today because you have measured nearness to God with your feelings instead of your faith. We have measured nearness to God with our feelings instead of our faith. And this is a message for the body of Christ today. We've made it about feelings. We've asked questions like, what do you feel instead of what do you believe? And the Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to the Christians living in Ephesus. (laughs) I love this. He was explaining how both Jews and Gentiles could now come near God. And he says to those who are Gentiles, Gentiles are those who are not Jews. He says to the Gentiles, he says, remember the time. Watch this. Look at this. Ephesians 2 verse 12. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once what far away have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ, by the blood of Christ. Nearness is the result of being brought near through the blood of Christ. And any other method that you use to be near God is an idol and an insult to the blood of Christ. Any other method you use to be near God than the blood of Jesus Christ is an idol and it's an insult to the blood of Christ. The shedding of innocent blood has always been God's method for bringing us near. It's always been God's method. How did God bring Adam and Eve near after they sinned? What did he do? He shed blood. He killed an animal. He made clothes. Out of skin. Where do you get skin? Huh? They say you can shear sheep as many times as you want, but you can only skin them once. Right. And that day he skinned and he killed an animal. Blood was shed and he covered their nakedness. You see, the shedding of innocent blood has always been God's method for drawing us near. Adam and Eve, their first two boys, Cain and Abel. Right. Each one brought an offering to God. Cain brought, he was a gardener. He brought the first, he brought the fruits from his garden. 
as an offering to God. But it didn't cost him nothing. Because those fruits would grow right back again. Didn't cost him nothing. Abel gave a different sacrifice, right? He took an animal from his herds and, and and he killed that animal and blood was shed. And the Bible says that God accepted Abel's offering. The shedding of blood offering. God was pleased with that offering. And it brought Abel near to God. But he was not pleased with Cain's offering. He was not pleased. And Cain got upset about it. And God said, well, listen, if you would just do what is right, I would be pleased and you would be accepted. Well, what's right? The shedding of blood is what draws us near to God. And Cain couldn't take that. So he went out and he killed his brother Abel. We know the rest of the story. And God came to Cain one day. Where's your brother? I'm not my brother's keeper. And God said this to him. God said this. He said, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Some of you are restless wanderers on the earth today because you have rejected the only means by which we can draw near to God. And that is the shedding of innocent blood. You've tried to offer your best fruits to God. You've given offerings to God. God, what about my offering? I don't like your offering. I don't want your offering. And God is saying you will be a restless wanderer for the rest of your life. Until you come to that place where you understand there's only one offering, there's only one sacrifice that can draw you near to God. And that's the shedding of innocent blood, the innocent blood of his son. And that's the only terms by which we can draw near to him. And Cain said, my punishment is more than I can bear. I will be hidden from your presence. Those near him are those with faith in his shed blood. And those who are far are those without faith in his shed blood. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Nearness to God has nothing to do with your efforts and everything to do with his effort. Nearness does not come when the worship team plays your favorite chorus. It doesn't come when you've broken bad habits and started good habits. Oh, God help us this morning. Corey Russell, he said this, speaking to believers, he said, he said, you can't get any cleaner than you presently are and you can't get any closer than you presently are. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be some sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What would happen? What would happen if the church would waken up to its identity in Christ? What would happen if the church really began to believe that scripture? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, you're righteous this morning if you're in Christ. You can't get any cleaner than you already are. You can't get any closer than you already are until we get to heaven. Corey said this, what's going to happen When you get off the roller coaster of how bad you're doing and begin to get your eyes on Christ. It's not about how well your devotions went this past week. It's not about the habit you're trying to kick. 
We need to get rid of the biggest idol of all, you, and get lost in Christ. I've been asking myself the question, what role does singing and worship on a Sunday morning have to do with drawing us near to God? And I believe that it has a very powerful one. And I want the worship team to come and we're going to get ready to wrap up. Singing choruses is very, very powerful. And here's why. What makes a song powerful is when it directs our focus off of who we are and onto what he and onto who he is and what he has done to draw us near. See, when we begin to sing about who he is, something happens to our singing. When we begin to focus on who God is, faith enters into our singing. Faith begins to enter our singing. And we're no longer just singing anymore. We're declaring the wonders of God. We're declaring who God is. And our faith begins to grow as we worship in this way. Why? Because we're singing about God's character and not our character flaws. And the Apostle Paul describes this kind of singing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let's look at this verse. Colossians 3, 16, Paul writes this. He said, let the message of Christ, the message of Christ, watch this, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. How? Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's the kind of singing God wants. That's what we do here at Glad Tidings. And if you come to our prayer meetings, uh, we have them three times a day. And, and our, our main prayer meeting is Wednesday night at 630. You come to our prayer meetings. That's exactly what you'll find. We take our focus off of who we are. We fix our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. And sometimes all we do is worship, worship, worship for 60 minutes. And then when it comes time to pray, we're not beggars. We're not beggars when it comes time to pray. At that point, we're thankful. At that point, we're not begging. We're thanking God for all the promises that he has for us in Christ Jesus. And with thanksgiving, we present our request to God. This morning, you need to know that you were created for nearness. You were created for nearness. Sin separates us from the nearness of God. Faith in the blood of Jesus brings us near. And nothing else brings us here near and nothing else keeps us near. So the question this morning as we wrap up, are you far from Jesus today? Maybe you grew up with Jesus. Um, I grew up with Jesus the first 16 years of my life. Like I said, was God was boring to me. He was familiar with he was he was he was familiar Jesus. I took offense at Jesus. That was the first 16 years of my life until I had a revelation of who Jesus really is. Maybe you're here. You grew up with Jesus. You thought you were near, but you realize this morning you're really far. You're like those hometown folk that Jesus went to visit. Maybe you didn't grow up with Jesus this morning and church is new to you. God is new to you. But here today you are realizing that you too are far from God. And maybe you've made some attempts to draw near to him. Maybe like Cain, you've brought your offerings to him and God is saying, no, I can't accept that. I can only accept 
a sacrifice that has innocent blood. And you're here today and you're ready to draw near to God because of what Jesus has done through the cross. I want to ask everybody if you would stand this morning. Some of you today, you're saying, Pastor, I'm not as close as I thought I was. And I want to draw near to him this morning. As we sing this chorus, I'm going to invite you to come and draw near. We're going to declare that we believe in him this morning. Before we do that, one last scripture to build our faith as we draw near. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. The Bible says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter. Somebody say confidence. Confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God. With a sincere heart. With a full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us. We can't get any cleaner folks than when Jesus cleanses us. From a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's draw near to God together. Join me at this altar. Let's declare, I believe in you, God of miracles.